There's a couple things wrong with this room. Tell me. <laughs> My guest today did not like our in-studio setup at NPR West. One, you're too far. Well, that's for sure. I would sit there. I'm not telling you to sit there. Do you want me to sit there? No. Well, now you're challenging me. To sit there. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta sit there. No, don't do it. This is Here, reach a out. Lot. Reach out. There we go. There you are. <laughs> I missed you so much already. <laughs> NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. That guest, the one who wants to get up close and personal with me in the studio, that's Pete Holmes. Pete is a star of HBO's Crashing. He's also a podcast host, an author, and a stand-up comic. In this chat, we talk all about Pete's work in those many, many different mediums. But the two of us were most excited to talk about our souls and faith and belief Pete Holmes, he has a lot of thoughts about spirituality. He was raised this devout Christian kid, like missionary trips to Africa Christian. But one day in adulthood, something happened to Pete and it made him question everything. If you've watched the show Crashing on HBO, you might know what this event was. But if you don't, we'll tell you in this chat. It's perhaps our most spiritual episode of the show. But you know what? I like it. And I'm here for Pete's sermon. Also, listeners, heads up, there's some sensitive language and a general mention of sex in this conversation. Yeah, it's that kind of sermon. Okay, let's get to it. Enjoy. I saw you at the Largo a few months ago. The Largo. I did. You were you were like emceeing the show, but you were for a long time. And you had, who did you have there? Shane Torres. Uh-huh. Naomi Ekperin. It's a good show. It was a good show. It was a good show. And I remember you talked a good amount about a new baby. And it was fun to hear and delightful. And it's like, it is one of those things where it's like having a kid must change everything for a creative. Mm-hmm. Like all of that stuff that you were saying on stage, all of that comedy for you, like none of that existed before your child. Yeah. I mean, how big of a just shift is that? Was that? It, it really is the sort of thing that you can't really remember your life before it. Like Val and I, that's my wife, will mm-hmm. try and remember, like, what did we used to do? <laughs> and we can't remember. Really? Um, yeah. You, I mean, you can, but it seems like someone else's life. And it seems like your life was always this way. And I mean that in the better. It's all better. Okay. It's all it's better. It's all better. It's all it's better. It's all better. It's all You better. are such a good dad. <laughs> no, I mean, anybody that doesn't understand that it's better... No, I would, I, I would totally hear that out if somebody was like, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I would laugh at their yeah. honesty. Yeah. That is not my experience. Everything about it is better. As a comedian, as, as, an, as a, someone trying to make art, so much of my life is about me, and that's not healthy. Mm. And you start to see what that does to people. You mm. see it in their posture. You see it in their eyes. I would argue you might even see it on their skin, like it is in their hair. Uh. At a certain point, like if you only mine yourself mm. – it's not good. You think it's made your comedy better? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. It's made everything better. Because, well, the first division is when I married Val. Yeah. Then you're like, you're invested in two things. And you start to see the world exists outside of you in this partner. Mm-hmm. But then you have a baby and that, the baby is obviously so much more dependent on you. Mm-hmm. So even now as we're talking, I'm aware of this other thing that is very, very important to me and dear to me mm-hmm. and her safety and her... Yeah 
goodness. Yeah. So that's that's a very healthy thing, I think, as a, for an artist. Yeah. You consider someone else. In a previous interview, you said this thing that I found so beautiful about your daughter, Leela. Uh, you said being with her, especially when she was like a newborn. You said it was, quote, being in the presence of unencumbered awareness. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. That's and an it. idea that I hadn't heard before. Explain that idea of unencumbered awareness for our listeners. Well, you know, it's interesting. It is a spiritual idea, so I hope people don't get turned off. Because <laughs> usually oh, when you talk about spirituality... This is the Jesus episode. We're is going it? there. It's fine. <laughs> if you mention spiritual ideas, people think that you're judging their lifestyle or you mm-hmm. think that they're secretly going to hell. And I'd just mm-hmm. like to dispel that right up top. Yes. So what I'm talking about with awareness is that's who I think we really are, is awareness. Um, the Hindus would call that the Atman. The Christians would call it a soul. Mm-hmm. Buddhas would call it the Buddha nature. Every Every major religion has an idea... For you are awareness. So when you have a thought like I am Sam, what you really are is the quiet stillness behind that thought that's hearing it. You ever wonder who you're talking to? When myself. You're like, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, you're talking to your, myself, but I would capitalize that okay. myself. Or I'd capitalize that S, myself. Like you're talking to the nature of being. So what happens is we're born and we are awareness. You're just awareness. You just are consciousness. Yeah. And then you start to inherit a story. Well, because you were saying that, like, she doesn't know who she is. She right. doesn't know if she's a she doesn't know girl she's or a girl. boy. She doesn't know what the world is. She just knows that she's looking around. That's right. She's just here. She's just here and now, just, which is all presence and consciousness ever is. It's just here and now. It only exists here and now. Yeah. She's getting less and less purely present, which is mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. If she wasn't, I'd be very concerned. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to learn how to be a person. Yeah. And then I would say in your 30s and, and 40s, you can f- learn how to not s- to stop being a person. <laughs> that, that's, that's a yeah. fun thing to do, yeah. too. Yeah. But I've sat with great spiritual teachers and being with a baby. Um, I think it helps if it's your own baby, but it doesn't have to be. If you can be as present as a baby and, and just sit with a baby, that's as good as flying to India any day. How do you build that unencumbered awareness into your day? With awareness, with being aware that that's what you'd like to do. (laughs) And in fact, like, even if you're like, let's say you're having something happen that you think isn't very present, Mm -hmm. your awareness that you're not being present is is the antidote. It's like some people call it the light of your awareness. And the light of your awareness will cast out any of that. You know, for the longest time, I would be mad at myself for being mad about things. And now I'm trying to be just like, I'm mad. Yeah, what's wrong with I'm angry, right? This is a natural state of being. I would add Sam is angry. You know what What does that That, do for it? (laughs) It depersonalizes it. When you say I am angry, you're identifying with an emotion, which where is all of spirituality is not identifying yourself with all that changes. Everything changes. When you were a kid, I I always liked to when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. I was Republican, I was pro gun, I was pro life. More I I was anti abortion. I like to I pro life just everybody's pro life. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I was anti abortion. That's a that's a nicer way to put it. And and now I have other feelings, other thoughts. Mm -hmm. But what was the same? That's why I don't really care what people believe. I don't really care what they think. I, I care about how they behave and often our beliefs and indicate how we're going to behave. So that's important. But if we're talking philosophically or ideologically, I don't really care what you think. I care how much you can identify with that which witnesses the thoughts. So when you say, when I say Pete is depressed, I am mm-hmm. not identifying with the depression. I'm saying I am the awareness that notices the depression. 
and I'll be here tomorrow when he's not depressed. <laughs> you see? Yeah. We get a little bit lost. We get a little bit lost in our feelings and our thoughts when really we know they're all on fire. They're all changing. Your thoughts are changing. Your beliefs are changing. Who you are isn't who you are. That's the whole – that's all spirituality. It's not you're – not, you're not your thoughts. And you're not your emotions either. What are you then? You're the awareness observing those things. You feel it. That can be frustrating. Which part? Well, are you ever frustrated by saying I'm just awareness? Because like, don't you want to someday say I am accomplished? I have done things. I am somebody. Look at my body of That's work. That's what I've done for 40 years for sure. And I'm still doing it. And I just do it differently. But you're absolutely right. You're a good interviewer, Sam. You're right on the money. Because if you were to call me on my I am a person who's built up a very shiny ego or false self, if you want to call it that. And I'm very, I like it. I get a lot of juice out of it. It's a fun play. And that's what Leela means. That's my daughter's name. It means dance or play of life. So that's the different approach. I look at my ego and my job and my specialness as just a game, as a dance that's happening. Mm. It's beautiful. It's fine. I can honor it. Yeah. But I know that it's not the real show. Hmm. How could it be? People think like when I die, uh, they'll look, oh, Pete was a good dad and a good husband and deep thinker and all this stuff. And I was like, who cares what they say at my funeral? Everybody, 100 years, as Ray Romano said to me, 100 years, all new people. There has to be another game going on here other than just erecting monuments to ourselves mm. and then burning them down so new people can put up monuments. Mm. Like cemeteries. Oh, that'll be my tombstone one day. Yeah. And it'll say that I was so special. That's what I love about watching old Hollywood movies. Like, look at these stars. Look at how special they are. You don't even know their name. Don't do it. That's that's why, on one hand, spirituality is the opposite of what people want to hear, is that you're basically selling death. You're saying it's all nonsense. Mm. But on the other hand, you're saying it's the only game in town is to wake up to the impermanence and the silliness of your game. And then really you can have it all. You can be free and still operate in the world. That's what Jesus means when he says, be in the world but not of the world, or that idea, yeah. be in the world, not of the world. Yeah. Time for a break. Coming up. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have this wound, right, this bad thing that had happened. Pete reveals the wound. And more. Listeners, heads up, there's some talk about sex in this next section. All right, BRB. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Happy Halloween, nerds. This week, don't miss a special spooky batch of episodes from NPR's new daily science podcast, Shortwave. We're going to talk about parasites that take over and control the brains of their hosts. Yes. Much like a podcaster does to their audience. (laughs) Listen and subscribe to Shortwave from NPR. I want to talk about a time in your life that has led to a lot of your output from the last few years. You know, this event led to the show, led to the book. And it was this moment 
when your first wife left you. Mm-hmm. Are you? Can we talk about that? Of course. Okay. As you just Good. mentioned, I've milked it. <laughs> I've milked it quite a bit. Listen, that's. I, uh, you, I, you when got I wrote to. when I wrote the book, I was like, I think this is the last thing. It does not bother me okay. at all. I'd love to Good. talk about Good. it. So, for folks who haven't read the book yet, haven't watched the show yet, um, you had been married. What? How long? We had been together for seven years. Okay. We had been married for six of those years. Okay. And then y'all were in, were y'all in New York, was it? We, we lived in Brooklyn. We lived, lived in, in Brooklyn. Slope, yep. And then she just left you. And then, I mean, like, the big thing about it was that it made you kind of question your belief. But, like, I want you to tell our listeners, I mean, like, what was the biggest question that came to you after she left in terms of? Well, I mean, it, it this sounds so cliche. It was the greatest thing that ever could have happened to me. And I don't mean that. There's a certain way that my father, for example, would take that because my wife left me and then I made a show out of it. So there's like a who's laughing now. Yeah, it cashed out. Yeah. That is not at all what I mean. Okay. <laughs> you got a show and, and kind of a book. Yeah, and a book and a podcast. I mean, I don't think my podcast would be anything. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have this wound, right? This bad thing that mm. had happened. Mm. And basically up until the point I was 28 when I when my wife left me, my first wife, nothing really bad had happened to me. I had lost some grandparents and stuff, basic things, but nothing, no tragedies, mm. nothing that really like shook up my mm. world and made it impossible to like mm. function for a little while. So that was the big bad. So 28 years, very good. It's a good, that's a good run. Very good run. It's a very good run. But it's going to shape your worldview. I realized that the God that I believed in up until that point was basically like the mafia. If I did what he told me to do, uh. he would protect me. Uh. And I had a lot of evidence for that. Yeah. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I didn't have sex. I didn't do all these things. Um, and there was my life. Things were pretty much going very nicely. I, there was no like worldly success to speak of. I was open micing it at the time as a comedian. But I was pretty, I was very happy and mm-hmm. soft and mm-hmm. protected. <laughs> yeah. And then wife leaves, the wife that you married to appease this God, because this God told you not to have sex before marriage. And he told you to procreate and he told you to do, yeah. All that, yeah. yeah, be fruitful and multiply. I was like, I'm doing what you told me to do. Really through the mouth of the, one of his great prophets, my mother. <laughs> My mother was like, you should get married. And I was like, all, yes. mo- all mothers. Yes, that's right. God's greatest prophets. <laughs> Listen, they, they would like to think they are. Um, but anyway, my mom told me I should get married, and she was sort of representing our thing, which was the church yeah. and was faith. What denomination? Non-denominational, but it was, it was very evangelical feeling. And, and, then, then. and then even though I was paying my protection money, someone still burned down my bakery. Mm. That's how I looked at mm. it. And mm. I was like, I don't understand. I really didn't understand. I thought I was your guy. I did what you told me to do. Why would you allow the marriage that was your idea to end? That's basically how I... Mm-hmm. And then I realized I just had no model for suffering within my faith whatsoever. It was what... Um, I forget who wrote it, but they call him a slot machine god or it's a Santa Claus model. Mm-hmm. It's basically Zeus. 
most of our Western understanding of God really yeah. is a Greek understanding of God, yeah. which is taking the attributes and the characteristics of Zeus and putting them on the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. We're talking about an old man in the sky. Who's angry. Who's angry with who lightning bolts. clear rules and, and can do whatever he wants to punish you. And wants to, you negotiate with this person. This yes. is a very Greek idea. Yes. There's some of that in the Bible, but really we're kind of blending. Yeah. So then if your conceptualization of God before your wife left you was Zeus... What did it become after that? Well, at first, it, it sort of became um, a relaxed atheism. Okay. <laughs> Meaning I didn't... Some atheists I know are... You didn't tell everyone you know that you're an atheist? <laughs> Thank goodness. It was... I wasn't as thoughtful as a lot of the atheists I know. A lot of the atheists I know do they the work. They lay out the logic And they figure you. it out. Yes. I was more, I'm going to stop thinking about this. And just to give my brain some way to interpret that, I'm going to kind of think, oh, I, I don't really believe... And God anymore. Yeah. It's a little too simple to say my wife left and then I was like, well, forget you, God. What really happened was my wife left and then I thought, well, this God must be different from how I was imagining mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. because this happened. Mm-hmm. So that did not compute. And then so I let him go. And then when I let him go, all the doubts that I had been having my entire life as a believer were allowed to come in and just sort of have a sandwich with me. Like they didn't just <laughs> come in and win. But when you're, you sort of forget, I do, that when you are really fundamentally a religious person, a Mm -hmm. fundamentalist, Mm -hmm. there are certain thoughts you're not allowed to have. Yes. And you marshal this. Yes. You're the one that says no. You better not think about sex. You stop yourself. Well, that's the beginning. Forget that. That's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, you stop yourself from thinking about sex. You stop yourself from thinking about negative things, Mm -hmm. ugly things, hateful things. Mm -hmm. And so then where do you you end up after that from Zeus God to what God? God well, now. I was sort of like, which is where a lot of people stop, I think, mm-hmm. is a deconstruction period. Mm. And I, I like to get out as much as I can that I think a thoughtful person should only deconstruct their faith for four years maximum. <laughs> That's a very specific Putting time, a t- right? I don't think you should spend more time deconstructing your faith than you took going to high school. Like, you should get it done. Get it done. <laughs> I don't want you to be 45 and telling me that they didn't write down anything Jesus said until 150 years after he died. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. Move on, David. You know what I mean? Like, do better. Yes. Not for me, yes. for you. Yes. For you. Yes. Do better. Yes. It's like, it's so fun to tear things down and to be hurt about how you were lied to and the church manipulated you and they made you believe these things you didn't want to believe. And it turns out that the Bible has all these, oh, look at these contradictions and all that stuff. Great. Four years. That's what you got. And then you know what you need to do? Drop it Mm -hmm. and just be like, it's all nonsense. Mm -hmm. Or thoughtfully start to reconstruct and reconstruct however you see fit. This is what life is about. Yes. It's about taking new data Let your faith be alive. What's the elevator pitch for your new assessment from that new data of God for you? Well, first of all, (laughs) 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 it's really important that people don't believe what I believe. I I don't care if people believe what I believe. Yeah, but I want to know what you I know, and I'm telling you, (laughs) but I want people to know that I think everybody needs to sort of find what fits for them, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The definition for God that really made me start thinking and softening and opening the door back up to the belief in God was Joseph Campbell's. And Joseph Campbell said that God is a metaphor for a mystery that absolutely transcends all categories of human thought, including being and non-being. Now you just triggered Sarah McLachlan's building a mystery in my head. Ah, 
We used to think that song was offensive because she says, a cross from a faith that died before Jesus came. And one of my overly sensitive friends was like, does she mean Christianity died before Jesus came back? And I was like, no, Joe. It's a cross from a different faith. He's a quirky guy. Yeah. That's what the song's about. Yeah. And he's building yeah. a mystery. Yeah. So this, so unpack that mystery. I will, but I'll say it even yes. easier. Okay. Everyone agrees that this is a mystery. Yeah. As I, I write in the book, I say science is trying to photograph it, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. The mystic, which is what I'm trying to do now, that is trying to feel it. It's trying to experience yeah. it. Yeah. It's beyond the categories of knowing and non-knowing. It's, it's mm. not binary. Mm-hmm. It's not dualistic. It's something else. It's another thing that can be experienced that you can become and participate and mm. flow with, but you'll never yank it into your brain mm. the way you Amazon Prime, you know, a new water pick. It's not going to come to you that way. Mm. The ego would like to know what God is. Mm-hmm. The ego would like to know what the, the mystery is. But you have to, at a certain point, go, we are dogs trying to understand the internet. It's beautiful how mm-hmm. far we've come. Mm-hmm. I'm not being anti-intellectual. I'm saying let's keep going. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's about you here and now. Yeah. All right, one more break right here. When we come back, Pete tells me why he's embraced uplift in his comedy instead of darkness. After the break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. Believe it or not, the 2010s are almost behind us. So before the decade disappears, NPR Music is hitting the pause button to look back at its defining trends, themes, and moments. From Beyonce to Bandcamp. I'm Robin Hilton. Join us as we look back at the decade in music with new episodes twice a week. Listen on All Songs Considered from NPR. You are a man that I would listen, talk to about belief in Jesus and God all the time. Why? Do you ever just say, well, maybe I should just become a preacher, get a church? I mean, like, like, like. That's like, very sweet of you. I appreciate it. But, like, like there, I'm sure there are some folks being like, if you're this much into spirituality stuff, comedy? Yeah. How, how do you, like, a lot of folks will be like, I don't see how these two things. Also, like. What am I going to do? Talk to a bunch of people that go to church? <laughs> That's who I want to reach? Say, yeah. I'm Not that I think of myself in these terms at all, but they were like, Oprah, you should run for president. And she's like, I can do more with my show. Frankly, I wish she would run for president, but she doesn't have a show anymore. I sort of feel like I'm not – my mom, here's, here's my answer. My mom was like, I can't wait for your book to come out. I'm going to give it to the pastor. I was like, it's not for the pastor. It's for people who lost their faith mm. but still catch themselves quietly alone in the car going, what is – is this? They're not done. They don't take this as a foregone conclusion. They're not, they don't accept it that this is this. We eat, we drink, we poop, we sleep, we make love, we make a baby, we whatever it is, then you die. They're like, something is at play, and we've lost our connection to it because the keepers of that connection turned it into an ego trip of us versus them, in versus out, heaven versus hell. Mm. Be a good person. Be a capitalist. Mm -hmm. Jesus was not a capitalist. Jesus was not going around wagging fingers. 
if he was, he was wagging fingers at the church. And at he didn't the money come, changers. Yeah. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to reform a religion that already existed, yeah. which was Judaism. Muhammad didn't set out to start a religion. These are people coming and saying, guys, it. it's here. Yeah. Not, I mean, don't get lost in the signpost that says this way to Detroit. Be still and know that I'm God. It's here yeah. now. That's yeah. the good news. It's here now. Yeah. What made you say, I'm going to make, comedy about some stuff that's uplift as opposed to so many other comics who say let me find the darkest part of my stuff yeah and live in that and laugh on it well first of all it's not it's it's that's nice and it's not by um i don't do it deliberately i guess is a good way to say it if you are constantly consuming uplifting stuff stuff about how even the bad things that happen to us have value and light and truth in them, mm-hmm. you're going to do stuff that is just that way. There's, there's a verse in the Bible, actually, that says that the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Mm. So what I put in my heart comes out in, in my comedy. Yeah, what goes in And it out. matters. I'm reading about mindfulness so much and practicing it so much That's the input. that if yeah. I do a joke about the Waze app and about how it's stupid and it keeps you locked in your head... It comes out. There's that is a joke about mindfulness, but I didn't say I'm going to write a joke about mindfulness. Tell me the ways mindfulness joke. I don't know if I know it. It's more of a rant, which makes oh, it harder I love to it. do. Love it. But I go. I hate ways. It's not the way of the heart. Um, <laughs> I don't need to save five minutes careening through gated communities. But the point, the ways is not asking you to be present. Ways a, is saying hurry up and that's get through right. this. Yeah. I took the ten here. That is my life because I like to be able to sit and think and be. We've made everything about doing. There's no room for being. And the car, this isn't in the bit, but the car is one of the great opportunities. Los Angelinos are blessed with so much more Get opportunity. Get out of my house. It's true. <laughs> Where This is Eckhart Tolle. I'll be, I'll be peaceful when I'm at home. Dude, get out of kindergarten. I'll be peaceful when I'm at home. You are not ready. When you think of... God, and if you think of like a manifestation of God now, what does she or he or they like look like, sound like? I always wonder this. For a long time, Jesus to me was just like a very nice Richard Pryor. <laughs> the look, the throw. <laughs> <No. laughs> like, Everybody gets a fish. <laughs> you know, nice Richard Pryor. Anyways, do you do you ever manifest God like that? Because some folks are like, you can't give personhood to God. The idea is too big. I mean, I'll always, I yield to my psychology. I don't resist it. Mm. Jesus was the first one I learned about. Mm-hmm. He also happens to be the prevalent <laughs> mm. symbol in our culture. That. So I enjoy that. So I have a personal feeling about him in the same way I have a personal feeling about Han Solo. You know, I'm not going to resist <laughs> that feeling I get when I think about Han Solo. And that's been tied to Christ a little bit. So I really enjoy thinking about him. But I also got Buddha. I got Hanuman. I got Krishna. Um, Take your pick. And and it doesn't really matter, but the definition for God, as I've already said, is what's looking out my eyes right now. When I'm anxious, I say, I am the universe being anxious. I was feeling dread yesterday. I didn't like how human I was, how nasty I was, how judgmental I was. And I was like, Yield, baby. Lay it down. I am the universe experiencing what it feels like to be a pinched basically. And I don't resist it as much. It's why it's why we're here. If we wanted to just be floating off in the cosmos, feeling infinite bliss, we could have done that. We came here to play. Let's play. Let's be in a big 
Breaking Bad, and there's also the Gilmore Girls, and there's there's uh, every show. Yeah. Look how big this planet is. Yeah. Look at how many games we're playing. Yeah. Then consider the infinite universe. How many games we must be playing everywhere. Yeah. We're doing it all, so do it. Yeah. Don't resist it. What do you think about your upbringing or you that made you so incredibly reflective about a lot of things folks never want to reflect on? Like, there, most people, if they had a crappy divorce yeah. and their wife left them, they'd say, I'm going to drink too much for six months and I'm going to try again and I'm going to find someone else and okay. Right. That's and what somebody told me. Really? It was drugs. They yeah, like, yeah. Do some. Somebody just told me do some cocaine. Yeah, and totally. I was like, what? But like, but like, but like that is the that is that is the usual reaction for bad stuff. And you have you let this one really bad life event kind of set you off on this life yeah. of constant introspection. Yeah, that yeah. is not most people. What do you think about you? Makes that your process. I feel like you can either pay a therapist a lot of money to just coax you into being more honest and more open. And I needed that. But at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I got it. The answer is always more honesty. The answer is always more openness. The answer is always more truth. Unlock all the windows in your house and open them. Where do you think that came from for you? I don't – so for some reason, my I, was, I really sort of feel like I learned from my mother the art of talking about things mm-hmm. and would go on walks mm-hmm. and just talk a lot about feelings. And that was during a very formative time in my life. And then, you know, the more, when I started doing my podcast, I noticed that I was very uh, happy to see that the more I shared, the more people liked it. I was very afraid when I started the podcast, which was the first place that I talked about my divorce, that people would judge me or think that I was weak, all these fears that seem Mm -hmm. so irrational now. Mm And the more specific I was when I talked about losing my faith, when I talked about heartbreak, when I talked about failures in comedy, the more people related to it. It's it's that crazy paradox mm-hmm. in art. The more specific you are, the more people it'll relate to. So I was very fortunate that like I was rewarded directly with Twitter comments and emails mm-hmm. and, and fans coming up to me that I saw in real time sharing is good. Mm. <laughs> It makes us less alone, mm. gives us solidarity, gives mm. us feelings of meaning. And yeah. so I, that's where I learned it. I got a real crash course in it. I love it. This was very uplifting. It's here. It's good stuff. Where else could it be? I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Come back. I'm already back. <laughs> We're doing another one right Let's now. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Pete Holmes. You can catch his podcast. It's called You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. Episodes drop every Wednesday. Also, Pete's latest book, it's called Comedy, Sex, God. It's out now as well. Listeners, be in touch with us. Send us the best parts of your week, the weirdest, quirkiest parts of your week, whatever it is. Record a voice memo on your phone. Email that sucker to us at samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org you might hear your own voice on the radio or if not know that someone on the team of this show will listen to your audio and quietly laugh or weep at their desk it happens to us all the time okay as always thank you for listening we're back in your feeds on friday with our weekly wrap till then talk soon